When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We all have a deep, dark secret when it comes to money. The trouble is we can often be blind to our own limitations and financial blocks. These could be stopping us from achieving the financial success that we desire. And today, we're joined by Bob Wheeler, a CPA, who is an expert in finance and emotions as they relate to finance. Every day, he works with six- and seven-figure clients, helping them find ways to maximize not only their financial return, but their emotional control. So a lot of those financial blocks that I was talking about, this is the guy that's going to help us get around them. So get ready to take notes and regain control over your money. Enjoy part one of my interview with Bob Wheeler as he helps us break our innate financial blocks. Hey, I'm Bob Wheeler. I'm so excited to be here. I'm a CPA with an accounting practice, CFO of the World Famous Comedy Store, and I wrote a book called The Money Nerve and love working with people around money and emotions. Nice. So, so uh, why money and emotions? How do you, how do you, you mentioned a comedy store and then you're also a CPA. How does that all uh, fit together? Well, comedy doesn't always pay the rent. <laughs> <laughs> and, account- <laughs> and accounting does. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, accounting has always just been something that came naturally to me. Um, but I also have my creative side. Um, so I was doing stand-up comedy, got pulled in to actually help the comedy store with their finances because they were struggling. And between all my friends that are creative folks, between my clients, and between looking at my own personal struggle around money, uh, I just I realized we were all making a lot of unconscious decisions and self-sabotage around money. And I really wanted to get into the psychology of why we do what we do with our money. Interesting. I, I had a guest on a few months back early in the show, uh, Kelly Calderon, and she talked about the the subconscious impact that we have in our children when it comes to money, saying yeah. things like, you know, we can't afford that or, you know, not right now or things, little, little things like that, that we don't think about how that impacts the way they see money. What is, what has been your experience? Like expand on that, that emotion and subconscious decisions. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of this does happen when we're four five, six, seven, we're just taking in information and we don't know any better. So mom and dad are telling us the truth. And so if I ask for a present uh, and my mom says, you're greedy, you're undeserving. How dare you? Then I take it into my adult life saying, oh my God, I'm always so greedy. I asked for too much. I better shut up. I better stop asking. Or somebody might tell me, you're amazing. You do deserve everything in the world. And I walk around completely entitled going, I just give me that, give me that, give me that. And so we, we make those decisions early on and we make vows. Uh, you know, I'm never going to let anybody help me. I'm never going to lose the milk money. And, and when we're in school, there's the rich kid, there's the poor kid, there's the kid on uh, the lunch program, there's a kid wearing hand-me-downs. And 
and they're all clocking this stuff, right? We don't talk about it, but we know we're not the kid that drove up in the limousine or we're not the kid that got to take a vacation and, or our parents speak another language and we're the translator at six years old. And so we're the fixer. And, and so all of that stuff, then we take into our adulthood and unconsciously we're, we're bringing it with us. Coke and, and candy. And Oh, I need that. (laughs) Oh, I need a, I need a colored toolbox. That's, you know, sparkles or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I will, I'll admit when I'm at the, the, the checkout line at Walmart, I do pause before I swipe. I do pause and look at all the options. I mean, gum, the Bluetooth speaker. You know. That's right. Oh, I need that. I need it. I didn't know I needed it. Right. So yeah, I th- it's interesting though. I think even a lot of people. I work with a lot of financial advisors. It never dawned on them that their clients don't feel amazing about just handing over a half a million dollars for them to invest after meeting them ten minutes ago. And, and they're like, oh, why are they emotional? I'm going to help them. Well, they don't know that. They don't know you. You haven't built trust. And so I think we just, we just don't, money is something we just don't talk about. A lot of households, we don't discuss it. Yeah. So you know? well, how would you, um, I guess, how would you present that to a family that doesn't talk about money? How would you let them know that it is important? Like, what, what, what would you say and impart upon them that would make that conversation uh, important? Yeah, well, the first thing I would ask them is, what's the fear in not sharing the information? What's the fear about talking about money? Mm-hmm. So a lot of us have a belief that when we talk about money, we mean, let's have a fight. Let's have a conflict, right? Mom and dad fought about money. You spend too much. Where's the money? Uh all those things. So now we go and we're like, oh, I don't want to bring that to my kids. So, so it's starting to find out what's the fear about having the conversation and then actually giving them the tools to have a difficult conversation to share with the kids. It doesn't mean you share everything with the kids. You don't tell them, oh my God, we're two paychecks away from being kicked out of our house, right? <laughs> don't put that on a five-year-old, but you might say to them, hey, let's look at the, the grocery budget. Uh, what food do you want to get? And if you get that, then we can't have this. And you start to teach them about choice. And there are ways to get them involved so that they can actually start being aware that there's cause and effect when we spend our money or when we save it. Or when we save it. So uh, when you have to make those those tough decisions uh, for the people who do have those decisions, what about the families that you remember you mentioned the Lamborghini and the vacations? What about the families that don't really have to make that choice? Right? They're financially well off enough that they could afford anything they want. How do you uh, how do you help that family kind of work that into the conversation with the children that just because we have it doesn't mean we should get it? Well, it's important to teach them responsibility, being conscious and intentional. I I was talking to somebody. They say to their kids. You know, their kid will say, well, dad, we can, you can afford that. And the dad's response is, I'm rich. You're not. You're going to have to work for it. <laughs> and I think that's so appropriate, right? Yeah. Be- because otherwise you get these entitled little kids that think if I lose my cell phone or I lose this or that, mom and dad will just replace it. Um, yeah. My sister did this once, you know, her, she spent, she saved all her money to buy and back in the day, an iPad. And her son kept going, let me play with it. Let me play with it. And then he lost it. And he's like, oh, we'll just buy another one. And, and it, it's, 
you know, and she had to do some soul searching because she realized she had been teaching him some values that she really didn't want to teach him and that there wasn't a understanding of responsibility and, and, and accountability. So yeah. I, that's what you do. You have to have these conversations, even with the kids that have it and set boundaries. You're right. We can afford it, but that's not going to happen today. Here's what you need to do in order to get that. It's interesting. I saw something, I read something um, about Bill Gates going to a, a dinner with his daughter. And uh, when the, uh, the check came, Bill Gates left a very a very small tip. Um, I'm not sure how much it was, but the daughter left a, a very big one. And then when they asked, you know, what the hell? You're Bill Gates. Why are you living a small tip? And your daughter's even a bigger one. And he goes, yeah, she's the daughter of Bill Gates. I'm the daughter of this person, my mom who worked this hard and my dad who worked this hard. Uh, and it's interesting how that passed down. It's just so different between them. Yeah, absolutely. It totally makes sense because her benchmark, her 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 goalpost measurement is a much higher bar than his was, right? Absolutely. So uh, tell me about the book, your book, Money Nerve. Yeah. Right. Um, I've never read the book. I would love to. I'm probably going to add it to, to the shelf back there. Uh, tell me about the book. What is it? And, and how does it play into this, this overarching philosophy of, of money and emotion? Yeah, so um, I called it the money nerve because I think that our reactions to money are visceral. They're in our body. If you win a lottery ticket, you're like, wow, I got and you you get excited, right? You get a bonus from work or you find 10 bucks on the ground. You're like, ah, oh, this is exciting. And you feel it. You go to the store and they decline your credit card, right? You get nauseous, maybe. Uh, you look online to check out your bank account and discover that they just uh, levied your account or shut it down. Right. You're, uh, and, and, and you physically get ill. People have heart attacks. People have uh, all kinds of illnesses physically related to stress. And so I wanted people to realize it's internal. We, we carry it with us, even if we don't consciously recognize it. And so what I do is I go through uh, what's your history? What do you remember about mom and dad telling you, not telling you? What about your grandparents? Did you grow up in a particular religious uh, community or an ethnic community that had a certain mindset around money. And, and then to start to look at what was your childhood experience and, and then start to go through what are the emotions you feel around certain things? What's your comfort level on your bank account? Some people just like it not being overdrawn. Some people feel comfortable if there's a thousand bucks. And, and we tend to, when we get more money, spend back to that comfort level. Um, oh, right. Wow. So I have people that inherit money. And in six months, they've blown through all the money and they're back to just not being overdrawn, right? Instead of going out and buying a house, investing it in savings, they go back to their comfort level. So helping people to start to be more conscious, uh, especially in what they say. I hear so many people, a lot of my clients will say, I'm so broke, I'm so broke. And I'll point out to them that they have a house and they have a vacation home and they just went to Paris and they just bought a new car, a Tesla. And they're like, oh, yeah. Right. So it's a story. They're not broke. They might be cash flow negative at the moment, but they're not broke. So how was, as you talk about dealing with your clients, how have your, your travels uh, around the world? Cause I see that you, you went to Africa, you went to yep. Nepal. How was being outside the country? Cause the U S is known for, um, 
I don't want to say our piggishness, but I can't figure out a better word for That's it. That's probably a good word. <laughs> right? Uh, our piggishness. The U.S. is known for that, right? So yeah. what has it been like being in other places around the world and then taking that back to, to uh, your practice with your clients today? Yeah, I think the biggest, you know, my biggest epiphany moment was when I was in Africa. And one of the things I love about Africa, I've been there a few times, is the people there, the generosity. People there will give you the only shirt off their back. People there will give you their last Coca-Cola or whatever it is. They are very generous and kind. That's been my experience. I'm sure there's some people that don't fit that. But in general, the people there are amazing. And what happened was I was in Tanzania and the average income was $100 a year per person. And that's not a lot of money. And they're running around and they're happy. And I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, you don't have a nice car. You don't have nice shoes. You don't even have shoes. You don't have running. Why are you so happy? What's wrong with you people? How can you not be happy if you don't have accumulated wealth? And it really bugged me that these people were incredibly happy and generous. And I had to look at myself and go, wow, you're pretty entitled and selfish. (laughs) And it was a very humbling experience for me to really see that if you come from a place of gratitude, they were grateful for what they did have. They were grateful that they were breathing and had opportunity to make their lives better. And, and, And they were abundant in their relationships and in their life experiences. And they were truly joyful. And it was really hard for me and, and, and a bit, you know, ugly to sort of look at how, uh, how I had been very privileged and was, hadn't seen it and having yeah. to look at that and self-reflect. So I love traveling because it helps me see some people are grateful just to have running water. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm from, um, I was born and spent a portion of my life in Jamaica. And even now when I go back, it does. It is very humbling to to. I mean, the the resorts, the resort life is not Jamaica. The resort life in Africa is not Africa. The people that are actually in the villages and on the land will tell you a lot more about just life than the, the what we see on TV and 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 like you said, just just being uh, blinded by our own benchmark, right? Our neighbors right. have a new car. Where over there, it's not about the neighbor. It's about how can you and I enjoy the sunlight today? Yeah, that's that's what it's about. And and we take all that for granted here. Oh, yeah. And that's where our piggishness comes in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wish we could just put on blinders, you know, if so, somehow. But there's so many bells and whistles in America. It's hard to it's hard to just block all of it out. Yeah. Um, and, and then and then again, you, you know there's some other alternative pressure that comes knock on your door, some bill to pay. And then that knocks you back into reality. We're like, damn, I want to enjoy the sunlight, but I also have, you know, X amount of dollars on my mortgage. I got to pay off or this private school to send my kids to. Yeah. And you know, it, that, as you were just saying that it reminded me when I was in India, uh, the women do most of the labor, you know, these women work hard. And I was watching this woman walking down the street, pulling a cart and she had a hose and um, she probably had to walk like four hours to get the part for the hose, right? And if she gets home and the part's wrong, she got to go back four hours. Now I can just run down to Home Depot or Lowe's in 10 minutes and get my supplies. That took her a whole day, right? 
And yeah. if, she, if she's doing that three times a week, her week is over. And I'm, oh, well, I forgot a part. Oh, let me call Amazon. Let me just do 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 Boom. And again, that kind of stuff we just take for granted. Yeah. So as we talk about money and, and we just talked about relationship to um, life as it is, is there a way that we can have uh, a healthy relationship with money and, and an appreciation for life? Is there a way for the two to, to coexist? Absolutely. So for me, a healthy relationship with money is learning to live within our means, learning to realize maybe we can't have everything, but we can have what we want. We can set goals. We can budget for it. I have clients that don't make a lot of money and they live in LA and they're able to have a very abundant life because they make choices. They've been saving their money. They're not splurging. They're thinking about, do I want to go out and spend money on dinner or make it at home? So I think having a healthy relationship with money is really learning to spend, stay within your means and realize that even though the media tells you, you should have everything now and you deserve it, you should charge it, is there are lots of people out there that aren't charging it, that are following a budget, that are putting money in the bank. And so I think that's important. And then when you're living within your means and you come from a place of gratitude and for me, service, when I'm being of service and when I'm being in my place of gratitude, uh, life is an amazing place to be because then I can see the beauty of humanity. I can give back knowing that I'm actually very privileged, which is why I love traveling is because it reminds me to be humble and grateful. Man, I hope you enjoyed part one with, with Bob. I certainly learned a lot. And I'm super interested in reading this Money Nerve book because I know for a fact I've got a lot of uh, financial triggers or financial blocks that I was just thinking about as he was talking. So make sure you're here tomorrow for part two of my interview with Bob Wheeler and bring somebody else because I know a lot of people already off the top of my head that are dealing with the same thing that they don't even know about. So make sure you're here for part two of my interview and I'll see you then. Mm-hmm.